When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowd asked, what then should we do? And John replied, well, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized. They asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some of the soldiers. Don't extort money and make false accusations and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming, coming soon, who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. Here ends our reading. Maybe seated. Good reading for the week of joy, eh? Right? Perfect. Quen unquenchable fire! Awesome. So... We're back on the path with John the Baptist, back in his teachings, and uh, last week Pastor Heidi delivered to you a word about John preparing that way. Um, at that time, I was teaming up with Jen Jarman in room 100 as our youngest disciples were learning about John the Baptist as well. We were talking about how John prepares a way by, by inviting people, daring people, come to the river, repent, turn from your ways. And then we ended up daring the kids because we told them about John the Baptist. Y'all know John the Baptist was a wild man, right? So John the Baptist ate what? What did John the Baptist eat? Bugs, locusts, yes, and wild honey. He was a wild man. And every kid who went to that now knows that because we offered a little dare to them during Kids Connect, which was, would you eat some crickets? Because I don't know if you know this. You can go to Jungle Gyms and buy whole crickets, barbecue-flavored even. I know, buffalo-flavored crickets. We had a few in here that were so brave as to try them. It was a lovely dare. Um, I have a dare for you guys at the end of this service as well, if you're interested. It's not bugs, I'm just kidding. No, 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 but I do have a dare for you. Um, there's something really important happening in this story today. Um, in time of this preparation, um, we still continue on that kick today, but today we highlight you know, hope, peace, joy. We're talking about joy this week. And um, I think John's just such a funny character for this, since he starts the story off as this teacher who's immediately kicked things off by calling people names. Hey, you brood of vipers, who called you out here to see this? 
hey, like uh, right away, name calling, warnings that they're going to get chopped down and thrown into fire. And I imagine that wouldn't elicit a lot of joy in people's hearts. It would probably jar them pretty severely. They got real Old Testament on them real fast. And just like that, this rabble of people would come out from the city. And you would imagine with how he's talking to them, these have got to be like the great unwashed, right? These are people who don't know of, of God. No, these are religious folks coming out there that he's calling vipers and snakes that he's threatening are going to get cut down and thrown into fire these are good church going folks these folks are out there like all right there's a new bombastic preacher out by the river let's go check this out i love this religious conversation i can probably get into i'm probably gonna learn some new theology some new approaches at things really excited to see john and john's just shouting at him straight from the start they get out there and before they even start he says don't don't even say this. Don't even say you're descendants of Abraham, because that don't matter. I got something for you. And what it says to me is that John the Baptist isn't talking about some brand new interpretation. He isn't talking about some form of enlightenment. He's talking about an impending event. Something's coming. It's not just a movement or a doctrine. It's breaking news. And it works, man. It lands big time. People come from all over to hear this message, this urgent plea. Come down here. It's happening soon. We know it works because that's what it says. We know it works because people then say, not, geez, get a load of this guy eating bugs, this weirdo by the river. They say, what should we do? What should we do? How do we get ready? They ask the very relevant question, that if this is true, then what should we do? And I'll ask you the same, as you are good and faithful folks who are here to hear the word, who are gathering to prepare yourself for this season, who are gathering as disciples of Jesus, trying to understand how can I be a better imitation of my teacher? So I ask, is anyone here genuinely interested in getting the answer to that question today? In the hustle and bustle of this season that we are in, and all the light hanging, the tree trimming, in the midst of Christmas concerts, dance recitals, travel arrangements, and dinner planning, are any of you getting that real biblical sense of urgency connected to this season, to this message? That we must prepare the way for the Lord, you guys! He's coming! Have you prepared your hearts? He is coming again. We do say, your kingdom come, your will be done now. Who's ready? Who's, who here is desperate to know? What should we do? Right? I know. I know. I just don't sense the urgency. I mean, I hope we do, but in truth, I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't because I'm often not operating with that sense of urgency either. And maybe that's because I don't have a John the Baptist down by the Ohio River yelling at me every day. I don't know. What I do have is a narrative told by the world that has got my attention exactly probably where it shouldn't be, which is basically always on myself you know it's on my fears it's on my wants it's on my anxieties it's on my actions it's on my service to self-satisfaction how can i solve all of my problems i could buy something i could you know, treat myself i don't need any more treats you know what i mean like i can't solve all these fears and these wants with the story that's being told but I keep buying into this must-have, must-do, must-observe. 
The story that has my attention is often on meeting unrealistic parenting expectations. Any parents in here trying real hard to have a really magical Christmas? Right, of course you are, because everyone says you've got to or you're bad at this. Also, I have to be honest with myself, I get a lot of insecurity in the holiday season because I should do better for the grandparents, and once again, I have failed to get myself organized and make a Christmas card. It hasn't happened since Harvey was born. I added one more kid, and I can't do it. I failed again. I can't get a Christmas card. If any of you are waiting for the Hoops Christmas card, it's not coming. If I'm honest, all of my attention, not just in the holiday season, is often on this in other parts of my life, on my work life, on schedules, on our pursuits, on our anxieties, on our debt, on our lack of goodwill towards others. I get really bummed out when I can sense that genuine disdain some of us have for our neighbors, the feelings I can have in the midst of political discourse and debate, in the midst of political seasons, which seem to be all seasons now. Far from seasonal. I look at where my attention is, and it just seems like Jesus never advocated for this kind of life. Never invited me in this kind of joy. It's it's oppressive. It's smothering. I don't think it's God's intention for me. It doesn't have too much to do with this beautiful, joyful pink candle we light. <laughs> I know God wants that for me. I know that God wants that for my neighbor. And I just find myself, and maybe you do too, asking yourself, not as publicly as they did in the story of John today, but perhaps privately you say, what then should I do? If this isn't it, what then should I do? What should I do? Because I know this isn't God's hope. I know I missed the mark. I know this isn't all I was made for, is this hustle and bustle. If not all this hard work and pursuit of purpose, meaning, joy, what then should I do? And thank goodness, John gives us an answer. And it's a really good one. Because I think they're asking that question the same reason we are. They're asking because in many ways, like us, we hear the instructions of God. We know God's desire. But we just know we're missing the mark somewhere. Obviously. So, so what can I do? Tell me what I'm doing that's so wrong, John. You're calling me a snake. You're talking about cutting things down and throwing it in fire. You called me a brood of vipers. You're threatening me. Why, why is my way so wrong? Why does my way not work? I'm not evil. I'm just busy. I'm not evil. I just have goals. I'm not evil. I don't want to be hungry either. I don't want to want. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be wronged. And he's saying, right. That's why I'm not calling you evil. I've said you've sinned. Sin isn't always about doing wrong on purpose. It's about missing the mark. It's missing the opportunity. It's missing the responsibility. No, you are not evil. You are missing the mark. We are suffering because of it. And John says, here is then what you should do to find that mark. If you have two coats, give one away to someone who needs it. If you have food, do likewise. Give it to someone who needs it. Good news for us who are all born in this social location, at this part of the world, the lottery of birth by being born in this country. Um, you'll notice here that it, there's nothing evil about having two coats. Nothing evil about having a lot. We have a lot. I use the word a lot. We have an embarrassment of riches. There is nothing wrong with having an embarrassment of riches. However, 
You'll notice that nothing is wrong except when someone is in need. Your blessings are not meant to be kept to yourself. Keeping it to yourself is absolutely missing the mark. See, John's pointing out, this really isn't about you. This season could feel like, in order to observe the season faithfully, maybe we just won't buy any presents. Maybe we won't put up lights. Maybe we won't do any of that stuff. Be so rush, rush. Okay, there might be some wisdom in that. Perhaps it is good to focus on the reason for the season, right? But Sometimes it is important to remember this isn't our birthday, it's Jesus's. But truly, many of those joyful, thoughtful, meaningful traditions, observances, they are great. They do bring joy. However, stressing out over these matters, the travel arrangements, trying to make the day so meaningful, those are fine and noble pursuits, but these things can consume our minds so much that we miss the opportunity to do the most important work afforded to us. In this season, love, share, serve, give. This isn't a message about what we shouldn't do. This is a message about what we can do in our preparation for Jesus. That will bring you true joy. And that will also bring a smile to our God's face. And that will produce fruits. In this season, in all seasons, truly, we have plenty on our plates. But the prioritization of sharing, giving, serving, blessing, these are at the heart of discipleship. And it is a long obedience. Ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus hope for in the world? And do we have anything to do with that? Can we play a part in that? Absolutely. Are my actions reflective of God's hope for the world? Where am I rich? Is it in time? Maybe not. Is it in energy? Maybe not. Is it in resources? Is it in fellowship? How am I being a good caretaker of what I'm sharing? And maybe, maybe that's the thing. If we don't have any sort of time, maybe we need to talk about reprioritizing. So I'm actively daring you this season in the tradition of John, take stock. Look at where you have two coats, where you have more food, where you have energy, where you have ability, where you have hospitality, where you have room to be generous. If you don't, again, it might be time to reorganize things. But in doing that reorganization, I'm daring you, find where you are rich. And I dare you to give it away. Share it with someone who needs it. Because there are absolutely folks overwhelmed in this holiday. But beyond the holiday, they're overwhelmed always. And you may be a really great steward of your resources. Ask yourself, is there someone who is not so lucky? Who would worry that there just isn't enough? And I would dare you to give generously. What should you do? What should we do in this season? If we look to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we know. We know. It's share. It's invite. It's welcome. It's serve. It's give. It's love. It's forgive. And to watch what happens when we give so generously of those things. 
what joy will come of it. True joy. Amen.